Well, good evening. Welcome to our Fear and Anxiety virtual conference. We're glad you could join us tonight. We're glad uh, also for those of you who are going to be listening to this later on. A bit of a new format. Uh, our normal conferences involve us being on the stage, but in a different setup than this. Uh, normally, we have conferences throughout the years that would involve people in the pews uh, and someone up front teaching and possibly a panel discussion at some point in that. Uh, obviously, during this time, we had to change things up but we still wanted to provide this kind of equipping, this kind of touch point, uh, this kind of encouragement uh, during this particular time. And so we've adjusted the format a bit. What you're seeing is sort of a combination of a conference and a podcast and a live stream and probably four or five other things that I'm not mentioning. The idea is this, that we're gonna have uh, the four of us up here. I'm gonna function as the host for the evening uh, that's gonna direct questions and kind of move things around and move things forward. And we're also gonna have a teacher someone who's kind of running a lot of the content of the conference. That's going to be Scott over here. And then we have two contributors, Danny Neidich and someone uh, more important to me than the average bear, Christina Colmery, Chrissy. Uh, and so these two are going to contribute along the way in response to a lot of what Scott is saying. Uh, and ideally what this turns into is a kind of discussion around some biblical content about fear and anxiety that both gives you more to think about than maybe you had before and also can work in responses, the beauty of discussion and different people's perspectives and experiences on this topic. And so we'll also have a chance for you, if you're watching this, uh, to text in uh, your own questions that we can try and answer uh, for a Q&A time that'll be around 15 minutes towards the end of this entire uh, evening. And so we're gonna break this up into four sort of chunks the, the, at, at the end, after those four, we'll have a Q&A. We'll put that number up later on um, so you don't have to kind of be thinking about that the entire time. You can write those questions down if you have any that come up, and we'll have you text them all in when that number comes up later on during the evening. So first, let's get this started. Um, it seems like we went to a lot of effort to arrange tables and make this thing work. We clearly think it's important to have uh, a conference like this. Um, and we are doing this first one on fear and anxiety. So question to you, Scott, our teacher, why a conference on fear and anxiety? Why do this? Uh, well, uh, first of all, because it's 2021, right? <laughs> I, I mean, after the last year that we've all been through, right? It's um, in, one self, self in one sense self-explanatory. Um, but th the reality is though that fear and anxiety are just a regular part of all of our lives as humans in this fallen world, right? We, we, we call them all sorts of different things, whether it's stress or worry or concern or fear or panic or anxiety, but we, we, we get afraid or, or anxious. We, we get stressed about all, all sorts of different things, right? Our, our, our physical health, our financial stability, our loved ones, family and friends, our reputations, our career paths, the direction of our country and our society. And when you pile all that together, it's been a particularly stress-inducing year, right? And some of that is, um, the reality is, I, I, I think at least, as I think about the last year, I'm not even sure if the physical danger of COVID-19 even rises to the top of the list of that. Like there've been so many, so many different things that cause stress, that cause fear, that, that we're concerned about. Um, and I, I mean, I don't think it's an overstatement to say that it, it's actually like, it's this fear, it's this anxiety that's at an epidemic proportion, right? That is everywhere. Um, and so 
every and, and and this is this is represented in so many different ways, right? Every, every single study or organization that has sought to measure these things, at least that I've seen, has come to the same conclusion, which is that anxiety has been sharply on the rise in the past year, and it hasn't um, it, it hasn't seen the fall off that we've seen in COVID numbers, right? As COVID goes down, anxiety hasn't like followed it, at least not like that. I mean, it's it, and. I, the reality is I don't even think we need statistics, right? The reality is that this has been, I mean, it's been my experience. I know as we've all talked, this has been your experiences as, we, as, as I've, we've talked with um, friends, family members. This is that topic that just keeps coming up over and over and over again. And so while the particular anxieties that we've been experiencing may be new this year, um, at the same time, these struggles are timeless. Right, worry, stress, fear—they they, aren't—they aren't new. Um, they've been a part of our lives long before this year, and they're—they're they're not going to magically disappear if we can just get through 2021. And so, I, I think the, the goal of it, my heart in this is just to just to equip us a little bit more with one more step. I think in that in that direction. Okay, question for the group then. So, for the two of you, especially as contributors, what are some of the reasons you think it's important to talk about this right now from your own kind of perspective? Um, I was actually reading an, a survey, it was a small survey, and it had to do with foster parents, but they surveyed uh, 300 foster families and said, what's your biggest fear? Um, and the first one was uh, their mental health, hmm. and the virus itself was third on the list, hmm. so employment was second. Um, so I think that it's, like you said, it's timely, and humans crave a feeling of control, and this past year has been anything but control in every aspect, not just the virus, but everything. I mean, politically and schools opening and not opening and um, so many other things. I think once our comforts and routines are disrupted, as humans, we get extremely, we can get extremely anxious. I, I do. And I watch it in my kids too. Um, routine is such a big deal in keeping them balanced and healthy. And if you disrupt that routine, you pay for it as a parent, and I just feel like um, we're, we're witnessing that with us. And there's a legitimate threat of suffering as well. There's a legitimate threat of us losing our job, our home, our health. So I think that's why it's important. Yeah, like when you look at um, before COVID, I mean, everybody had multiple worries and anxieties to, to deal with. Um, when I was doing food boxes, even like COVID, I was actually surprised too. COVID was not the top like stressor in the lives for, for many people when I was delivering boxes. And um, I think we kind of already had fears and anxieties that were going on in our lives, whether it was work or whether it's kids or whatever it is. And then you had this pandemic come and this pandemic says, well, you should worry about who comes into your house. You should, you're worried about who gets in your car. Like, are you supposed to roll your windows down? Or are you supposed to keep your windows? Like, it added a whole bunch of other anxieties and concerns that we never had to think about. And now that we're kind of potentially getting to more, hopefully this end of this road a little bit, um, there might be this tendency that fear and anxiety, because this, the pandemic's passed, that some of those things go away. But I think we still had all those other fears and anxieties right beforehand that are going to still um, manifest themselves if they weren't being manifested as much this past year. So, yeah. It's interesting. Anxiety gets like justified. 
Mm-hmm. In, in, yeah. in some, I mean, I know we're going to talk a lot more about how this all fleshes out, but but yeah, like all of a sudden you can there's 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 a health version of that, right? That more or less just seems like okay, well maybe some of that is a good appropriate way of thinking. You're trying to navigate a new space, but then you can take that same mindset to the rest of your life. Yeah. And we've done it for a year, yeah. so like <laughs> there's a lot of ways that that same thing can happen. Okay, so um, first section. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go, for those of you kind of watching, we're going to go uh, uh, from 30,000 feet. We're going to start like all the way at the top. Then we're going to kind of come down and get more and more practical as we go. Um, because anxiety is one of those words that we say a ton, um, but don't always try and define that well. So we can end up talking past each other or misunderstanding each other while we're trying to help each other even. So that's the first question on the table uh, directed to Scott. What is anxiety? How do we define this thing? Yeah, I, I think it's so important to start here because I, I I also don't think, I mean, and for everybody listening and everybody watching, like, we're, we're not going to solve anxiety tonight, right? <laughs> like, the, the goal isn't to, you know, uh, make it all go away and get, like, the, the keys to the kingdom. However, I, this is something that Scripture talks about a lot, and I think that... Uh, more of the, the goal is to put more of scripture's light on our experience in this moment so we can both understand it and and navigate it and and i mean anxiety fear and anxiety when we think about this if, if we live in a world filled with suffering then anxiety is the experience of the the fear of experiencing suffering right so it's it's the potential of experiencing suffering it's not the suffering itself but it's the imagined future, the, the seeing it coming, right? At least Fitzpatrick defines this fear, this anxiety as a felt, a felt reaction to a perceived danger. And I think that's, that's actually, this is a, a helpful definition that we can kind of peel apart a little bit. And actually, actually for, for context as well, I, I should say, I didn't mention before, but a lot of this content, this discussion has, has happened before because we, we did a, with a number of other leaders and servant ministers in the church, we did a, a cohort last fall on this topic and really wrestled through a lot of these things. I, I learned from, from you, Danny, from you, Chrissy, from so many others that helped me even think through and put some of these things together. And that's where this, this definition was clarifying clarifying for me because he, she, at least Patrick writes that it's a felt reaction to a perceived danger. So first of all, then fear, anxiety, it's a felt reaction, right? It's an emotional experience, but it's also, it's also a physical experience, right? We're embodied souls. So as embodied souls, it is this physical and emotional experience. She says, and she says, but it's a felt reaction to a danger, right? It's it, fear or anxiety in, they're the natural emotion that, and the physical response that happens in the face of danger or the expected danger, expected suffering. When we see suffering coming in the future, Right? This is the natural human response to it. But, but the, the last piece of it is where it gets, just gets really, really messy because anxiety is the, the felt reaction to a, not just to danger, it's the felt reaction to a perceived danger, right? And so whether that anticipated future suffering will actually come to fruition or not, whether that anticipated suffering is as significant as we imagine it being, or not, we, we respond to it the same way. We respond to it right in this objective evaluation of the situation. We respond to the, our perception of the experience, which it 
reflects reality to varying degrees depending on the, the situation. And so this, this felt reaction to this perceived danger is what we, I think, variously call anxiety or stress or worry or concern. Um, which is important because I think, I think it begs the question then, well, wait, if it's a felt reaction to a perceived danger, is, is fear or anxiety always bad? Right? Is it always a problem? Are we having this, this conference about something that's always a problem? Or can it, um, can it sometimes be a reflection of a real danger that makes sense? Right? And, I, and I'm afraid that people, I'm afraid that Christians have for too long like, talked about anxiety in sound bites. And like these sound bites they pick up from scripture and, and, and they memorize from scripture, right? They, they've heard the first third of Philippians 4, 6 mm -hmm. repeated again and again, right? Do not be anxious about anything, which is, which is fascinating because if, if we always talk about like reading scripture in context, not only is it a verse on its own, it's only a third of a verse on its own, right? Like it's, I mean, it's like the, the, the least amount of context you could possibly read is, is the truth, do not be anxious about anything. But we hear that and we assume then that to experience anxiety or weary or fear is to not trust God. Mm -hmm. But that, that's not the case, right? I mean, Chrissy, we, we were talking about this earlier today, right? Where if we experience this, have this experience at all, sometimes the, the Christianese answer is, well, you just need to trust God. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's problematic, right? Yeah. I actually, as you were talking, I, I thought of like in grade school, we learn about uh, fight or flight. Mm. And I just, I was like, well, this is a visceral reaction that is built into our physiology. And if yeah. it's, that's God created. And if it's God created and we come at it like, well, you, that's bad, get rid of it. Then we're doing ourselves a disservice. Yeah. Yeah. We, we get this picture of this like stoic, overly simplified stoic Christian that uh, I just don't really think actually reflects what scripture talks about. Yeah. So then you put all that together and we've got, a, a, I think, a pretty good working definition of what we're talking about here. So then if we're trying to broaden out how, how, what we, we want people to understand the Bible as saying, how does the Bible in a more robust or comprehensive way address this thing we're talking about, anxiety, stress, fear, et cetera? Yeah, so what's interesting is the, even in Scripture, the, the, our understanding of the word isn't simple. Um, I mean, all sorts of different words have multiple meanings, right? We do this a lot in English, right? I, I love the Dodgers. I love Lamb Korma. I love my wife. Um, you could even use, actually, you could even use it with worry, right? I worry about the Dodgers. <laughs> Sometimes I worry about my Lamb Korma and if it's going to be spicy enough. And, so, and I worry about my wife. Right? But I, I mean different things about these right, levels of, of, of concern. And I think similarly, we have to distinguish between the different types of worry and particularly the different types of worry that are mentioned explicitly in Scripture. The two that are mentioned explicitly and then a third that we, that we glean from a biblical worldview and understanding of, of suffering and the nature of the fall. Because the New Testament... and. This is, a little bit, this is a little bit nerdy. We don't normally talk about Greek, but I think it's important here. The, the, the New Testament most commonly translates, or the, the New Testament word that's most commonly translated anxiety or anxious or worry is this, this Greek word merimnao. And, and at times it's used negatively 
in the sense of this over-concern or this anxiousness, right? Some of the, the, the most familiar passages in the New Testament, right? When, when Paul writes, do not be anxious about anything in Philippians 4, he says, do not be merimnao about anything. Or when Jesus teaches, therefore I tell you, do not be merimnao, do not be anxious. Or when Peter instructs his listeners in 1 Peter 5, you know, casting all your merimnao on him because he cares for you. And we'll look about at some of these passages later on in more depth, however. But it's this exact same word, though, merimnao, that isn't exclusively used negatively in Scripture, referring to over-concern and anxiousness. Sometimes it's used in reference to appropriate concern. Sometimes it's used in reference to, to genuine care. Like when Paul tells the Philippians, he says, I have no one like Timothy who will be merimnao for your welfare. He will be genuinely concerned is the way the ESV tra- translates it. Or, or when he tells the, Paul tells the Corinthians that there is daily my, the pressure on me of my merimnao, my anxiety for all the churches. He's expressing his love using this, this same word, merimnao. And then, and then when he tells them that, that God desires that the members may have the same care for one another, he, he uses the same word. He says, my desire is that members of the church would have the same merimnao for each other. And so, so Paul tells the Philippians both that Timothy is appropriately merimnao for their welfare and that they're not supposed to be merimnao about anything. <laughs> so, I, which I think begs the question, right, what's the difference? Well, as, as always, I think whenever we study scripture, or really when we, whenever we just communicate with each other, context matters and ultimately context defines. That there's an appropriate kind of God-centered concern that we're called to have, yet there's also an inappropriate kind of self-centered, consuming concern that we're, we're also warned against. And we need to, to, to begin to try to unpack that and understand uh, the difference. So, you know, you go out, <clears throat> you know, exploring, you come to the new land and you find a bunch of animals and you got to start figuring out which one's which, right? How, how do you tell them apart? How do you know which is, which belongs to what genus and species and all these things you make like what they call a taxonomy. Uh-huh. So can you provide some kind of taxon? Like, like how would you, <laughs> how would you break out the different species of yeah, yeah, Merim yeah. Nao or yeah, yeah. what we find in the Bible? And for people that, 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 that came listening to this and they're like, I'm just struggling. Like why, why am I getting a Greek lesson? <laughs> taxonomy. <laughs> yeah. Taxonomy. Help? Taxonomy helped yeah. a lot for people's yeah. worries. Just throwing um, you a bone. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think that that's why though understand we, we have to get underneath our presuppositions about anxiety if we're going to actually get to the truth of what scripture says about it. And, and that's what I mean, a taxonomy, uh, right, is, 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 is helpful. The, and then the first, well, so the, the first type of worry I, I would call godly concern. So there is a, a godly concern we are all called to have. Godly concern is essentially the negative feeling we experience when something that God values is threatened. So if something that God values is threatened and we're, we echo, he, he has concern for that. He has, he has miram na'o for that. And when we're concerned about it, we, we echo his. And in a fallen world where suffering is the norm, I think we should expect to experience the, those kind of, of negative emotions, right? And the, the, this isn't exhaustive or even necessarily perfect, but I, there's, I think there's four trademarks that I think can help us identify appropriate godly concern when we're, when we're experiencing it. First of all, godly concern flows from a confident trust in God, not an insecure trust in myself. So it, it's not the fear that, that the world is out of control. 
A godly concern flows from a, a conviction that God is in control, but that, mm-hmm. that, that there are things that, that he cares deeply about and that concern him. Um, in short, essentially, I think it means that we feel our greatest concern for the things that, greatest, that most greatly concern God. Right? Our, our, our godly concern echoes God's concern in that way. Uh, secondly, godly concern stems from a desire for the glory of God a fundamental desire for the glory of God, not the preservation of myself, right? Jesus, I mean, this is interesting because I'd always wondered why Jesus wrapped up his instructions in Matthew 6 on anxiety. He wrapped up the whole section on anxiety by instructing his disciples, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I was like, well, it seems like a, I mean, it kind of seems like a non sequitur, right? Like, don't be anxious about the world, don't worry, but seek first the kingdom of God. But really, what he was conveying is godly concern is primarily concerned, most fundamentally concerned with God and his kingdom and his glory, and not primarily, I'm not saying it's unconcerned with self-preservation, right? We, mm-hmm. that, that's, but it, it's secondarily concerned with self-preservation. This is, right, this is Jesus' teachings about losing your life. Um, by losing our lives, we find it in him. Um, and third, I think godly concern seeks first the good of others over the good of myself, right? So this, when it reflects God's concern, it's a, again, it's an other-focused, it's, it's this type of concern that actually consistently takes our eyes off of ourselves. And really, like every other capacity that God's given us, it manifests itself most strongly. Is that what I want to say? That's not a great phrasing. (laughs) But it manifests itself most fully when it is engaged for the good and the care of others, right? I'm thinking of like Philippians 2, right, which I love. Like our concern is for others above ourselves. Um, And so godly concern then longs to see the ultimate good of others brought about, which means it desires to see the ultimate good of others brought about even at great cost to ourselves. So godly concerns then actually motivate, godly concern motivates us to sacrifice. I think sometimes concern and and, and anxiety can lead us away from sacrifice. Mm -hmm. But godly concern actually leads us towards sacrifice for the sake of others. Um, and, and lastly, fourthly, godly concern is focused on today, not tomorrow, which is also something that I think we see um, repeated in Scripture. So self-focused anxiety is, is obsessed with the unknown future. Godly anxiety only is primarily concerned with the things it can control, right, that are actually within my purview. Which and I don't, by, by saying today and not tomorrow, I don't mean like it's, careless, right? Sometimes the responsibilities of today include preparing for tomorrow, right? It doesn't mean it's, it's unconcerned, but godly concern only occupies itself with the preparations for tomorrow that I can control. Mm-hmm. And, it, it, and so if there's something I can control in preparation for tomorrow that I actually can control in preparation for tomorrow, it can, that's, those are the things it concerns itself with um, as opposed to the kind of grand unknown that exists for most of us in the future. So, and in that, I think in all of that, we ought to see that then if, if godly concern echoes God's concern, if it is concerned about today, if it's manifested for others, then it's not sin. 
I mean, not only is it like okay, it's not, and not only is it not sin, it is righteousness. I think a godly concern is a manifestation of, of godliness in our lives. And the more we become more and more like Christ, I think the more concerned we will be for the things that, that, that concern God. And so to say that, that concern, to say that merimnao, to say that, that anxiety has, has nothing to do with God, I think doesn't reflect um, that reality, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. I think to be completely honest, I'm struggling with uh, godly, the the words ungodly versus godly Mm. in our concerns. Mm. I I mean, I I totally get it on an intellectual level, but when you say godly concern, to me, it, my anxiety ramps up and I think like I should always be evangelizing. Like Mm. I need to only be concerned about how this is going to propel his kingdom forward. And I don't think that's the point. Mm-mm. I think more it's probably, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think more of it is, is your concern, does your concern allow for room for God to be present and active? Mm. So I'm, I'm trying to think of an example. You know, I, I'm concerned about schools reopening. I'm just going to go there because that's heavily on my mind, right? I'm concerned about schools reopening as soon as possible. And there's concern there because I know that there's risk, but I also know that there's mental mental health and uh, emotional health issues that that are happening to my kids and and our neighbor's kids Mm -hmm. because they're not allowed to go back to school. Yeah. But I'm not concerned because it's selfish. It's more of like, yeah. I really want them to um, thrive and, and be well. <laughs> so I, I, I don't know. I think that there's a little bit of baggage on the ungodly mm. and versus godly term, unfortunately. Totally. And it's good for me to, to remember what that actually means when I hear it. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and Maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe that's, <laughs> maybe that's what should be happening. Um, but I, 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 but I, I, I think you're exactly onto it. And I think that maybe sometimes some of that baggage comes from the fact that we sometimes too narrowly uh, define what it, the things God cares about. Mm-hmm. Right? As if God only cares about us evangelizing. Right. right? Or yeah. God only cares about these like, kind of specific Christianese things where God cares deeply about the mental, emotional, educational, spiritual health of our children, right? He cares deeply about the, um, about the marginalized in our midst who are, where, where these things, these, these big worldwide things deeply affect. Um, and so for us to be concerned about those things, um, isn't ungodly, right, reflects his heart. Um, and I think that maybe to your point, it may, it may be actually be more, even more helpful to, to think about it that way, that there's a way in which we echo his concern uh, knowing he's in control and we echo his concern versus we manifest our, our own concern that is more shaped by kind of a, a universe where he, he practically isn't even, isn't even there. Yeah. I mean, the struggle seems to me, because I, I, I can resonate with that, it seems connected to the fact that we want to drive the legitimacy of our anxiety, uh, or we want to evaluate the legitimacy of our anxiety based on the thing we're anxious about, 
versus mm. the way we are anxious about it. Because mm. um, I think that's the temptation, right? It's like, well, I can't be anxious about this. That's bad. But I can be anxious about this because that's good. Mm. When in reality, it seems at least where this is heading um, is that there, there's a way to be, uh, have an ungodly, if we want to use that phrase, anxiety about uh, COVID. You can have an ungodly anxiety about an exam if you're in college. You can have an ungodly anxiety about lots of things. Yeah. Um, and it's more complicated than that. But you can also have, in some ways, a godly anxiety about those things. Yeah. It, 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 there's an internal drive in some of these things that allows you to, to be able to slice these things thinly the way you want to, which is the Bible wants to give us something more nuanced and robust than just, well, if you're anxious, it's bad. But it also doesn't want to say, well, anxiety is always good. So how do you get that? It's going to end up driving you internal, at least for a lot of it. Mm. And so trying to get away from the hearing godly concern and thinking, okay, well, what are the godly topics I should, I, I, I'm allowed to be anxious about? <laughs> and then what are the ones I'm not allowed? Th that seems to be one of the struggles that we're all going to face is just trying to nip it in the bud. Um, but even what I'm just saying is kind of premature. Yeah. No, um, no. I'm, well, I'm driving in, but we, we're, we're on the first one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so like, we, we, we clarify that one, but then this only makes sense as we go, further along, right? Yeah, 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 And so that's one. Well, hopefully. <laughs> this is the goal. This is the goal. So that's the first one. Okay. There, there's another one. So, What's okay. So I, I think this, this leads, and Chrissy, I want, I, I want to explain some of the, the symptoms that I, I think we see biblically regarding ungodly anxiety. Mm -hmm. And you can tell me if this uh, clarifies it. Okay. Or if, and if it, and if it doesn't, uh, let me know, because that, that's, that's why we're here to like, kind of figure this out together because I think Brian you're putting the your finger on it in a helpful way that m most fundamentally it, there there is an aspect of what we are concerned about in that it reflects God's concern I think sometimes that gets messy in our in our heads and as as we interpret it with the 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 pre-existing thoughts we we bring to it but I think that even more specifically, the questions about how we go about that is um, is even more primarily telling of where these um, these allegiances are. And and if and if you're listening, don't. Uh, there's also a third type of anxiety that isn't either one of these <laughs> that I I think it's really really important to talk about. And so we're gonna get there. So don't <laughs> don't stop listening. But. Um, the second type of, of concern we talk about is ungodly worry or anxiety. And I would, I would call it ungodly worry or anxiety. It's, it's the consuming mm -hmm. negative feeling we experience when something we value is threatened. Mm -hmm. And so we, that we, that something we value being threatened can either be something that God also values, or it could be something that God doesn't value that we do, yeah. right? It could be either. Um, but it's the consuming nature of mm -hmm. it. Um, and again, we're going to talk about habitual anxiety that ha that has more to do with the physical consuming, and so so you know we're we're going to get there. But but it's it's the consuming piece that I think is the key component here. And there and I, three of the symptoms. I was going to say there are three symptoms, but I think that's over, that's way overly simplistic. Three symptoms that I notice, <laughs> um, and I think can help us identify ungodly worry anxiety. First is I think ungodly worry is a consuming feeling that tempts us to increasing unbelief, right? It's something that, that, that tempts us to increasing unbelief. When we share God's concern, it leads us to trust him, right? Even if we're really, like, even if we're really burdened about it, it, it leads us to, okay, but I, I'm comforted by the fact that I know you care about this even more than I do, right? Um, 
However, when our worry and concern flows from a heart that's more self-reliant um, than God-reliant, it tempts us to doubt God's goodness or his wisdom or his power. And it leads us down a path of, of I think, increasing unbelief. Um, It makes me think of Romans 8, 31, right? What what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? When our concerns lead us to distrust God and his goodness, the goodness that he's demonstrated for us in the gospel, we can know that we're experiencing ungodly worry. Uh, Okay, let let, let me me, me use a different word than tempts. The tempts is the the word I wrote down, but it's not, because it's not, it's, it's not, ungodly to be tempted, mm-hmm. right? Um, but it is when, when our concerns lead us, not just tempt us, but when they, they, they lead us and, and we, we are led into a distrust of God and his goodness, we can know that we're experiencing un, ungodly worry. And in a similar way, does that make sense? Did you did you use the word consume? Because I feel like consume would yes. be would be a good way to understand it too. Like I did exactly. Yes, if we're consumed yeah. with our our worry, our anxiety, and we're so consumed with the what ifs or how this affects me or how this maybe will affect my life. Yes, we're not being pointed back to His goodness at all. Exactly, and I think that yeah. it's it's that consuming that that is a a. Uh, reinforcing loop yeah. with that doubt, mm-hmm. right? The, the more we're consumed, the more we just say, ah, but maybe, maybe he's not actually good. Maybe, maybe he's not, he can't, maybe he's not going to work this out. And that loops with our, with the, with the consuming nature of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it kind of blocks out any ability for you to actually hear truth. Mm, exactly. Because you're so consumed with like your inner thoughts or, um, self-preservation or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, so the, the second then is that I think ungodly worry is a consuming feeling. And so th- this is related to it. So one like leads us into unbelief, but this, secondly, it, it's a consuming feeling that keeps us from our God-given callings and responsibilities. Like we can know the consuming has, has led us down the wrong path when instead of our concern motivating us, to fulfill our callings and responsibilities, the concern keeps us from our callings and responsibilities, right? I mean, and and this is where I think we we know, I mean, we all know from experience, right? Consuming anxiety drains massive amounts Mm -hmm. of time and energy and focus and mental resources, and its consuming nature can leave us unable to fulfill the responsibilities of today simply because we're so captivated by the unknowns of tomorrow, mm-hmm. um, and th- th- that's where that you know Jesus saying like, "Don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious of itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble." <laughs> right? There, there's there's plenty uh, today, and so when worry about tomorrow keeps us from the callings of today, I think we can see that um, that as a symptom that there's uh, more self reliance. Uh, mm-hmm motivating that particular concern as well. Uh, Scott, quick, uh, quick question, actually. Yeah. Um, just because I look at, like, when it consume, consumes you that you're not able to 
fulfill like a God-given responsibility, but like you guys as parents or someone who has like a career, those being God-given responsibilities, but those things start to consume you. Like, how do you find the balance of, make sure I'm asking this right, like, okay, this was a God-given responsibility to me and I'm consumed with it, maybe mm. knowingly or unknowingly, and also not thinking like, well, what other responsibilities do I really have? Because like maybe work and my kids and my family are like, mm. does that make sense? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, it, it totally does. I mean, what, what, I, what I hear you saying is that sometimes I, this goes hand in hand with, uh, this goes hand in hand with, well, let's do our next conference on vocation. Um, that's what we were talking about doing Um, but I think it goes hand in hand with our understanding of our various callings and I think that I think it's really perceptive Danny to recognize that sometimes it's a God given responsibility that we can be consumingly concerned about so it's not just to our point earlier it's not just that we become ungodly concern isn't just being concerned about the wrong things (laughs) Right, but it's it's unduly being concerned in a way that keeps us from. Uh, the reality is that we all have various callings, various relationships, various vocational and and responsibilities we're called to, and um, we can be overly consumed in one area, in a way that leaves us unfaithful um, in others, um, and I think that's a that's a symptom. Right, that like something other than simply a reflection of God's concern for the world and those around us is motivating um, what we're experiencing. And and I think third, then, so if there's uh, it tempts us to unbelief, it, it it keeps us from our God-given responsibilities. I think ultimately, uh, ungodly concern is a consuming feeling that demonstrates that we, and this is kind of what, what, what we've been talking about, it, it demonstrates that we disproportionately value certain things of this earth in comparison with God. And because if it's, if it's consuming in that way, then, right, I mean, worship is a, is a um, symptom of our idolatry, right? And oftentimes we become the most concerned about the things that we worship the most, um, and our concern is couched in a certain way when um, when when God is our the ultimate thing we worship, and everything else falls underneath Him. Um, but it's couched differently when He doesn't hold that primary spot, right, in our hearts and our minds. Um, so I, you know, I, I, I want to just jump to the the the, the last <laughs> the last one because I think this leaves us like, oh my gosh, like all concern is like that doesn't descri- that doesn't explain actually the whole experience, but I do think that it we can't explain the experience unless we take stock of the fact that there are ways that our our self focused hearts there are ways that our that, that sin in the depths of our hearts can feed into and contribute uh, to the experience of anxiety that we have to. Um, notice and be aware of as well. Does that does that clarify or uh, help Chrissy, or does that like uh, does it still have the same problem? No, I think it. I think it clarifies. I liked your your question a lot, Danny, because um, I can see how, like, say I'm really concerned for my children. Right, they're having struggles, and I'm spending a lot of time trying to get a team around them. 
and I'm really concerned for them every day. But all of the sudden, if that's all I'm becoming consumed with, and I've, I've just let it kind of change, <laughs> change my thoughts and my demeanor, it can also become like this thing that I'm clutching onto really hard. I mean, mm -hmm. and God has like gifted me with my kids and he's made me an advocate, but then I've taken that kind of treasure from him and I'm like holding it myself. Mm. Um, yeah. 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 And I think, I think with the, uh, the consumption stuff too, it's like with all the God given responsibilities we have, like, like with prodigal, there's always things that I'm concerned with, you know, but I can be really consumed with it too. And still like I can come to church but not be in mm -hmm. church because I'm so consumed with thinking about what's going on out there with the guys or something else, you know, yeah. and it could be the kids, it can be uh, work or something like that. Any, you can just fill in the blank with anything. But I, even, I think it helps asking that question. Like I, I think it kind of helps me a little bit think through, is, is it not just a consumption in terms of like all my time is focused, but also like internally, mm -hmm. maybe it is looking like I'm, focus otherwhere, but like, I'm still consumed with this one thing that's mm -hmm. driving constant worry, even when it doesn't seem like it's like I'm worried or anything, you know? So, right. We're like taking something that the Lord has given us and we've turned it into self focus, Yeah, which is yeah. never, this never goes anywhere good, but, <laughs> but it's easy to do that. If, if it's something that's, it's easy to get distracted when it's it's god-given and you really are you're trying to be faithful mm, yeah. but then all of a sudden you you just forgot to look up you know yeah. you were in the trenches so long that all of a sudden you're like oh i can do this the best and i'm the only one that can do this and then you start telling yourself like these lies basically and you forgot to like wait lord yeah how do i be faithful again um i think that's that's where we're trying to go right yeah okay absolutely okay Absolutely. Um, I, I, and that's why I think it's like, we, we need to have both these categories then, right? We need to have categories for it. Well, wait, no, no. All anxiety and concern isn't bad. Like right. there's really good, really important concern. And even like anxiety, like the, the type of concern that just like keeps you up at night, mm -hmm. right? Like if it keeps you up at night, that doesn't make it bad. Yeah. But also all concern, even for things that God's placed in your life, just because God placed it in your life doesn't mean that any concern and any amount of concern for it is good, is like blanket good, mm -hmm. right? And, and I think that, that that makes it messier, right? For all of us, for, um, we, we want something simple that can be like, okay, wait, wait, is it good? Is it bad? But right. just like, tell me what to do and like, tell me either to trust God or not worry about it, right? Either I need to repent or I need to not worry about it. But it's, it's it, oftentimes this, this messy combination of both that, that I think these categories hopefully help us give us some tools to process through that a little bit it's good so, so what's the third one you said there's a third one okay so there's a third a third uh category and i think this is really really important because if the other two aren't necessarily clear in scripture i think it's this third one that's particularly unclear in christian culture and it's it's what i i'd, I'd call habitual anxiety right it's Similar to godly concern and ungodly worry, habitual anxiety is the, it's the experience of a negative feeling, right? It's this negative feeling, but while it's similar to the negative feeling we get when something we value is threatened, habitual anxiety is precipitated 
it, it's, it's not precipitated by our minds. Well, not, not, it's not precipitated necessarily by our active thoughts, but it's precipitated really more by our bodies. Mm-hmm. Habitual anxiety, it's, it's, it, it, habitual anxiety is the reoccurring negative feelings and or the involuntary physical responses they produce precipitated by an experience that's reminiscent of a time something we value was threatened. So we don't even have to experience the, the physical experience of anxiety when just something you value is threatened. We experience the physical response when we're even reminded of a time that something we value was threatened. And, and our, our bodies work this way, our, our bodies and, and our brains work this way automatically, which is so, um, which is what makes this so difficult and complicated and um, also helpful though to, to think about, uh, the, right? The, the automatic ways that your brain and your body work, uh, the, they're in, in incredible capacities God has given us as his image bearers, right? This is why you're able to drive a car without thinking specifically about which pedal to push every time you, you, you change lanes, right? This is how you automatically slam on the brakes when you feel the need to stop, right? This is, this is why, not to be crass here, but this is why you need to go to the bathroom when you walk in somewhere comfortable. Right? Like you walk in some recovery, you're like, oh man, I really need to go to the bathroom right now. Right? Why? Because your body like automatic, just being reminded of some of a place that's either safe or scary or whatever, like your body just reacts automatically. Can you imagine if Matt was here? Uh, <laughs> just throw that out there for his sake. I would have cut it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Matt. You know, but interestingly, your your body doesn't simply react automatically. Um, in each of those situations, it also reacts automatically when it's simply reminded of those situations. Like you could uh, just me, me telling the story about getting comfortable somewhere that you need to go to the bathroom made some people listening to this right now need to go to the bathroom, right? Just, <laughs> just thinking about just being reminded of it affects your mind. It affects your body. And in the same way, I think oftentimes our bodies react with fear like symptoms not just when we're in a situation that's fear-inducing, but when we're in a situation that's even reminiscent of one that caused particularly notable fear in the past. This is why your palms get sweaty when you get into the car the first time after you got into a car accident, right? You get in and you're, you're anxious in the car. Well, why, your palms get sweaty. You're, physically, it happens without you even thinking about it. Well, why, this, is, this is why. This is why your heart starts racing when you enter a classroom as an adult like a middle school classroom as an adult, even though you're not a middle schooler anymore, right? But just, just the, the, the cues that remind you of something that was difficult or fear-inducing in the past creates a bodily reaction that also uh, reinforces and, and, and stimulates and, and, and kicks off a mental reaction as well. And so that racing of your heart or the sweating of your palms, it's, it's this it's not just the result of a, a chain reaction in your body and mind, but it also sets off a chain reaction of its own. And, and this chain of events is, is blown up on steroids for anyone who's experienced trauma, right? That trauma can ingrain these responses into your mind and your body, which is why I think, and we're not going to talk about it tonight. This is why, but I think dealing with trauma is a whole other topic. I mean, one that I, I'm still learning about, still desperately need to learn more about, what, right? One, one we could do a whole nother conference on, but categorically, I think of trauma 
as this type of, as kind of the, the more significant type of this habitual anxiety response um, that happens to particularly or excessively painful experiences, right? Like any form of abuse or like a particularly acute tragedy. And so, and I think all of this is because as, as embodied souls living, like we're not just experiencing the fallen body or the, we're not just experiencing the fallen world as like perfected humans. And we're not even, the problem with us isn't just that we have fallen souls in these like perfected bodies, right? We have fallen souls in a fallen world and we're experiencing them in fallen bodies. And so we should expect that, that, that these things, that there's gonna be all sorts of ways that the, these things don't work right. And thankfully, though, Scripture gives us a category for these kinds of involuntary, physically and environmentally triggered experiences. And Scripture refers to these types of things as, as a form of suffering. It, I think this is a form of what Scripture calls over and over suffering, trials. This is a, a trial in this life. And so it's important for us to think of habitual anxiety as a form of suffering that countless people experience in all sorts of varying degrees. Um, it's just another one of the ways we suffer from living in a fallen, as fallen people in a fallen world. It's just another shade of the multicolored trials, right, that James talks about. And so I think to the extent that people are experiencing habitual anxiety, um, kind of precipitated by just something that was reminiscent or precipitated by their physical um, a chain reaction that was set off by their physical body. We need to interpret that as suffering. And, and if, if people should be affirmed for their godly concern and corrected for ungodly concern, they should also be comforted in the midst of habitual anxiety. And I think that's an important category as we think about these things as well, because I think a lot of people will see in their experience that not all of their anxiety fits neatly into the, the categories of godly concern or ungodly concern. We need to think about this as, as embodied fallen body, as embodied souls with fallen bodies. We have to think about this category of um, habitual anxiety as well. Okay, so let me throw it to you guys a little bit. So what are some ways that you've seen these categories show up? I mean, either in your own lives, lives of others around you, like what, from the experience side, how do you process through these these different categories Scott's giving us? Yeah, uh, before actually we ever did that cohort, um, I really didn't. I always just thought of it as mainly ungodly. <laughs> and then, anytime you experience anxiety, it was ungodly. Yeah, like and that, and that's what that's what like you're kind of like taught, you yeah. know, especially like in some Christian circles too. You're just taught like sin, find the sin, you know, and. Um, and then obviously when you paint that light of the godly concern, I started thinking through, I was like, oh, wait, I remember again, going back to prodigal, like all the concern I would have for the, a lot of the guys. And it wasn't because it's like, I'm trying to control what happens to them. It's just more that, yeah, God values their life and I value their life. I don't want to get a call in the middle of the night, you know, and hearing that something happened to one of them. And I think kind of learning about the godly, um, the godly concern was really helpful for me and kind of piece, piecing that together. But the habitual one was the one that was really, I just always know suffering. 
I never think of it as habitual anxiety, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And I was trying to even ex experiences like that in my own life. And I guess if I can be a little bit more vulnerable here, the past couple of years, there's been like maybe three really like tough nights of sleep I had. And it was like mm -hmm. spiritual anxiety, like uh, warfare, dark presence. And like I was, you know, asleep and I just woke up in the middle of the night and there was just like dark, dark presence that just felt there. And it, it was, it was not fun for sure. And it woke me up, obviously I couldn't get back to sleep, but the nights following all those experiences, like when I would go to bed, I'd like get the butterflies in my stomach. Mm. I would, I couldn't get to sleep. Like those are like physical. Um, but I think, you know, in years past, I would have been like, oh, you're not trusting God enough right now when you go to sleep, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. But I think it's kind of helpful just to kind of like think through like, okay, like, yeah, like even though I wouldn't think going to sleep is going to be potentially suffering, it mm -hmm. became suffering. And mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah. Um, funny enough, my habitual anxiety is talking about anxiety. <laughs> 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 I read that book and I, oh my gosh, it was so hard for me to read that book. Um, I actually had to stop reading it. I, I listened to it instead because... Which, which book was uh, it? The Elise, sorry, the Elise Fitzpatrick oh, book that you were talking um, about. Me, yeah. I can't remember. Fear and Anxiety? Anyways. What was the title of it? It, it doesn't Anyways, matter. Okay. Um, I mean, it matters. It does matter. Elise, but... Elise for you. It matters. <laughs> if you ever hear this. But. but I realized it's because I my whole life I've struggled with being an anxious person because mm. I just feel like I'm more highly strung than others. And when, when I say that out loud, it's, it's honestly because I have a lot of concern. Like a lot of things really do grieve me. Mm. Um, for example, witnessing the division of Christians over this past mm. year has just brought me to my knees. And it's not because like I'm wanting to take sides and, and, and wag my finger. It's just like, oh my gosh, you guys, we're Christians. Like I can't, I don't even understand how to process this. And then I think about our children who are at you know, the bulk of the, of our decision-making. And we're not really even turning around to look at, we're not putting our kids first, in my opinion. And that really, really grieves me. Um, and then um, ungodly worry was the what ifs of the illness, right? I would say, what if I get COVID? Who's going to help? Brian? Like Brian has so much on his plate. How is, how is he going to be in charge of all five of our kids. What if he gets COVID? Oh my gosh, I can't do that all by myself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what if I die? Mm -hmm. And then I'm just left in this empty darkness. Like there's no answer to what if I die? Cause I won't be here to, <laughs> I won't be here to fix that. Like yeah. it just, um, so I can see those patterns and just knowing that I skew towards those thought patterns makes me more anxious and, um, wanting to control my thought life more with scripture, but it makes me anxious that I'm not doing it enough or correctly or wondering why I'm struggling with habitual anxiety more often, maybe in the midst of a pandemic mm. or sleepless nights or like you said, it, it just comes over you sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, and then you're, you're like, well, what's wrong with me? Am I, am I not, you know, reading my Bible enough? Am I not praying? So habitual turns into this like, ungodly concern and it kind of becomes this this cycle yeah i mean and it's not super simple right even right. when we talk about these categories it's not like like you can 
divide them all out, but I, I, my hope is that the categories help us to even just have the category. We're like, okay, wait, wait, every time I experience this isn't sin. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Number one. Number two, I, I should have a category for the fact that sometimes this happens to me and I'm, I'm suffering because of some of this. And I also think that having a category, for, I, I feel like I've learned this from you. I've, I've felt this in a, multiple times in conversations with you in the last number of months. I think godly concern also gives us a category for the fact that all, all concern or worry or anxiety isn't bad. Mm. In fact, there's a godly amount of it, right? If, if we were Christian Stoics, that's not the goal. And in our conversation before, I've felt impressed that there are things you're concerned about that I should be more concerned about, right? So having an anxiety problem isn't always you should be less anxious, mm. right? I think sometimes as Christians, the answer is like, I should be more. Godly concern would be a reflection of me being more concerned than I am, not just less. Now, again, like, I don't mean to like try to find what the appropriate <laughs> yeah, amount of concern is. Too, yeah, right? yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> but, I, but, I, but I do think that uh, having those those categories at least gives us a vocabulary to begin to navigate and have those those conversations of, uh, as well that that hopefully helps to dismantle a little bit mm-hmm. the the stoic Christian ideal. Yeah. Okay, we got to move forward, but lightning round. Uh, we're we're moving past this section. Anything that the two of you in particular want to make sure stands out to people listening? I would just say, yeah, like don't it's it's nuanced like you guys were saying earlier and just don't assume that it all falls in a one category and that we need to be asking questions and we need to really come alongside people in all of this because it's like you guys said it's it's just way more than what we think um what stands out to me is we've only talked about the three anxiety types but only one out of three of them really is driven by sin or self. Mm. And as an anxious person, that gives me a lot of peace mm. and a lot of comfort and tells me that God is involved in a lot more of it than I am. Huh. And there's a, a story I heard once about a guy um, with someone else uh, in uh, Florida who's like saw an alligator coming towards them. I could be getting some of these details wrong. But, <laughs> but, but the other guy, the guy says, oh, it's an alligator. And the guy says, no, nah, it's a crocodile. And the guy says, what's the difference? And it doesn't really matter. He's like, and instead of telling him, like, oh, well, here's, like, no shape, he said, well, it matters when one of them's coming towards you. Like, <laughs> like because one of them's a lot more dangerous than the other. And uh-huh. in the same way, I feel like these categories are particularly important because it matters when it's coming towards you. Mm. Like, they, they can look the same on the outside in certain broad strokes, but the more you know about these, the more it affects how you're going to move forward. Um, and so I think trying to internalize these is pretty important to have these as categories to work with. So the taxonomy... As it were, uh, is, uh, is <laughs> you said non sequitur too, but again, I think Matt jotted that down. Uh, okay, but that so moving forward, like so, because it matters when it's coming at you, right? Yeah. So section, you know, next section. Um, where do we go from here? So we have this set of categories. What now? Yeah, I mean, I I, I think the, the reality is we have to recognize that at, at any given moment we can we can experience some soup combination of all three right so i think our experience of of anxiety isn't uh discreetly one or the other right and and so it's in that that we try to navigate that and and both in our lives and in the lives of those around us speak the truth of the gospel um 
into each one of those areas. And so, I mean, I, I just, actually, I just want to jump into how we speak the truth of the gospel to godly concern or the truth of scripture to godly concern, because if genuine concern is the natural byproduct of love, then we should be affirming godly concern anywhere we see it, <laughs> right? When, we sh when somebody says, I I'm concerned about these things, we shouldn't be telling people, don't be anxious about anything, <laughs> right? We, we should be affirming godly concern where we see it and not assuming, e uh, even when sin is present, we shouldn't assume that that concern is only driven by sin. Does it make sense? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Both in ourselves and in, in others. And so I, I think that's actually really important because even if we see a bit of sin in it, it doesn't mean that there's no godly concern in it. Right. And so we, I think a part of growth comes by not just saying, hey, look, that's not good. Don't do that. But by saying, oh, wait, look, that's good. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's a reflection of God's heart and, and affirming that in one another's lives. Um, and uh, right, I, the reality is that God cares, is concerned deeply about us. He was so concerned for us, he sent his son. He manifests his love and his care for us by sacrificing for us. And I mean, this is, John reflects on this in his, in his first letter, right? By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And so I, see, I think when we see this kind of other-focused concern manifest itself in people's lives, we we, I guess, I guess I'd even say this, like when we see that kind of godly concern in one another's lives, we shouldn't just affirm it. We shouldn't say, oh, oh, just, just say, oh, you know what? Hey, that, that, that's godly concern. We should use scripture to affirm it. We should help people see how what they're feeling, what they're experiencing, some of the things you're experiencing with your kids, some of the things you're experiencing, Danny, with um, the guys that you're ministering to, some of the things that are keeping you up at night even are a reflection of God's heart as revealed in scripture, mm -hmm. not just because I say it is, right? Um, and so, I, right, I, I mean, it makes me think of um, the fact that, that the, it, this genuine concern for one another is one of the most powerful ways God has designed us to experience his concern for us. We, we experience his concern for us by, by seeing other people concerned for us, reflecting his concern. It, it, it makes me think of uh, 1 Corinthians 12. Right? For just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. But God has so composed the body giving greater honor to the parts that lacked, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same merimnao, that the members might have the same godly concern for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. Right? It doesn't say if one member suffers, no one else cares because they're not anxious. <laughs> right? It says if one member suffers, they all suffer together. If one is honored, they all rejoice together. Um, and... I think that in we when we think about this, it the reality is that God has um, God has given us everything we need in Christ, right? We're adopted, we're made alive, we're given eternal life, washed us clean, forgiven, accepted, and when we're secure in Christ like that, and to the extent we were secure in Christ like that, and confident of His unimaginable concern for us, it frees us to worry both less about ourselves and more about others, and also to 
care for, be concerned about, worry about others in light of and in reflection of his goodness. Um, I, almost as, I, I, I want to say, I'll try this out. I, I want to say almost as um, under concerners. <laughs> like our concern is under his concern. Like our concern is always couched by the fact that he is concerned about the things we're concerned about and even more so. Right, so we're reflecting his concern in, in, in a shadow. And so I think that the, the gospel scripture would um, lead us to, to proactively and make sure that we're affirming um, that type of reflection uh, when, wherever we see it. So we wanna affirm godly concern, we wanna do it Ideally with scripture, it seems like, in a sense, because it's very easy to kind of wishy-washy that, right? Oh, that's nice that you're concerned about something nice. We want to, like, really affirm it and say, like, no, this is a legitimately derived biblical thing that you're doing. Um, And that it's motivated, ultimately, by a kind of gospel concern that's, like, bearing fruit in our lives. Mm -hmm. So that's the first one. Mm -hmm. So then the second one, which, I mean, how does the gospel then sort of, you know, intersect with ungodly concern or worry? Yeah, and, and this is where I think actually probably the two most commonly referenced passages about anxiety, Jesus is in, in the Sermon on the Mount and Paul in Philippians 4, this is where those passages on anxiety I think are particularly helpful, right? It, it, how does the gospel speak into this? What's the truth we need to speak into one another's lives in the midst of uh, of the type of anxiety that Jesus I mean, honestly, rebukes, right? There is a kind of anxiety that he rebukes. And we, and we, and, and, but then he also comforts us with truth, with reminders of truth um, in the midst of it. And this is where, if, you, if we look at the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter six, we, we first of all see some markers of our sinful anxiety, some that we've talked about, right? Living in the future, temptation to unbelief and idolatry. Um, he, he, he even uses the, the, the practical a problem of the fact that anxiety is practically useless, right? Like that type of anxiety, like it doesn't lead you to prayer. It doesn't lead you to anything. It, like it, it, it doesn't do anything. Um, but since we've already looked at the problem, the, the main point Jesus makes in this passage, as far as the good news that he wants us to remember in the face of sinful anxiety or of the, the, the ungodly anxiety is he wants us to remember the fact that all of creation all of creation demonstrates God's intimate and wise care as a constant reminder of his character. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's his point. He wants us to point us to the fact that, look, God cares. He's wise. And not just because he does them, because they are the reflections of his perfect character. Mm-hmm. And when we remember that, it reorients and uh, steers, really, our ungodly anxiety back into the realm <laughs> of, godly, of godly concern. Mm-hmm. Um, this is right. He says uh, in Matthew six twenty six, "Look at the birds of the air; they neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field; how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these." And he, he also uses this. He uses this comparison of, of the lesser to the greater. Right? God is sufficiently cares about birds and flowers. How much more can he? Will he care for us, his image bearers? But later in in the New Testament, Paul uses this same lesser to the greater logic. 
And he points to the gospel as God's ultimate care for us. In, in Romans 8, he says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And I think it's through that reminder of both the, the reminder of creation and the reminder of the gospel that the gospel combats our sinful anxiety because it shows us the fullest extent. The gospel in particular shows us the fullest extent of God's goodness and his wisdom and his power and his love. And then whatever concerns we have in this life then are led to be held and understood in the context of that perfect wisdom and power and love. Um, and, it, and it leads us, uh, honestly, into... Um, for the sake of time, we, we won't go there, but it, he leads us into, into Philippians where he talks about how this manifests in our prayers, how we then see these, our concerns as a trigger to prayer, to calling out to him, how it manifests in our thoughts um, when we set our minds, when we don't be anxious about anything, but set our minds on the things that are, essentially the things that are above, as he says in Colossians. Um, and, and then he says that, uh, well, Anyways, you know, for the sake of time, I'm not going to go into Philippians. But the the the, the, <laughs> point, the point the point is, I I I, I want to preach a sermon on it. But, <laughs> but 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 the reality is, you know, I think that um, he points us to these realities of the gospel that both remind us of who he is, and then also remind us, in light of the gospel, of his incredible grace. That when we're when we experience ungodly anxiety, he doesn't meet us with condemnation. Right? That's not who he is. That's not his character. That's, that's not the gospel. He, he meets us with, with patience, with love, offering peace, kind of gently, just wanting to lift our heads up so that we might remember, see him, be freed from um, that, that consuming anxiety and, um, and reminded and assured of who we are in him. Yeah, it's, how, okay, so I, I, as the host, I appreciate your timeliness. <laughs> I do think it's important, before we jump into the third one, to mention yeah. that when we're, when we're saying Philippians, we're talking about do not be anxious about anything, right? Which, which totally. is this verse that is often used as a kind of sledgehammer against any possible experience <laughs> of any kind of something approaching anxiety. Yeah. Um, and, I, and what you're saying that I, I just want to point out and make sure that we don't skip over, because okay. um, you are skipping over like a page of stuff, right? So you do have a sermon here. The, the thing I want to pull out of it. I preached, preached 50 minutes this morning, and I still feel <laughs> bad about it. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to learn. Wait, the, the thing I want to pull out is, is that what you're saying is derived from that verse, not yes. somewhere else. So we use that verse wrong because we use it as a law that we then get afraid of as though God is someone he's not. And so what we need to understand is that even within Philippians and the verse itself, without taking time to preach the sermon, we're talking about the God of the Bible and the God of the gospel and the God of Philippians and the God of Philippians yeah. 4. And like like the, the God who's described there, you have to understand, do not be anxious in light of a relationship with that God through the gospel, through Jesus Christ, by the power of the Spirit. 
Exactly. If you do that, it takes on a very different flavor than just this sledgehammer that is waiting for you if you ever feel the slightest bit anxious. Yeah. And so we really need to reevaluate that verse because we just take it so superficially. Mm-hmm. And if you just meditate on it for like five minutes, you find treasures underneath what's going on. But if you don't meditate on it and you have that maybe Christian cultural background, it becomes a sledgehammer that others use on you and that you use on yourself. Yeah. And, it's, and that's not what it is. And so we're not trying to get around the Bible. We're trying to read it well and actually let it say what, it, what it's saying versus us jumping to conclusions and then using it along those lines. I, I, that is, ex- yeah, that, that's spot on and, and probably better than I could have said it. And, 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 the, and the reason is because actually, as I looked at this page, I'm like, I, I, it, I'm, I'm touching it too quickly right. to appreciate that. It does, it needs to be meditated on. And if you meditate on, and by meditate on, I don't mean repeat to yourself over and over, don't be anxious about anything, don't be anxious about anything. Don't. I've tried that. It doesn't work. The, you know the only thing it does? I mean, right, Chris? You're the, the only yeah. thing it does is it makes you more anxious, yes. right? Um, the, but meditating on the passage itself and the invitation that it contains to God, to wrestling through these things with him, to even reorienting your perspective as you do it it's yeah it's it's filled with riches and 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 it's through that type of meditation that the peace of god which surpasses all understanding guards your hearts and minds not through just throwing that 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 verse around yeah okay so that's category one category two okay i would think the the most intriguing or the thing that we're least familiar with in terms of cutting a a trail from the gospel to it is going to be this third one habitual anxiety. So, so how does the gospel intersect with that? What, where do we go with, with that one? Yeah. I mean, I, this is where I think that the viewing habitual anxiety as a form of suffering is really important because you might look, look at through all scripture and you're like, I, I don't find the term habitual anxiety like anywhere, but the concept of suffering is on every page. I mean, the, the new Testament is I think the New Testament is as filled with the hope of the gospel addressing suffering as it is with the hope of the gospel addressing sin. Like it, it and I think we read it wrong when we're only looking for the gospel and sin. Like it is just filled with hope for the suffering and not just the Old Testament, but all, all of scripture. And so I think when we think about it that way, in Scripture, we can see that in the midst of habitual anxiety, just as in the midst of all suffering, God calls us, he's inviting us in the midst of our suffering to remember who he is and place our hope in him, place our trust in him, not as a way out, right, as a trust him and so you don't do this, but as an invitation to, to a comforter, to, to a God who, who loves us and who is worthy of our hope and our trust. Um, and this is where actually, I mean, I, I was talking about the New Testament. This is, this is where I think the Psalms are so helpful in the midst of suffering. Uh, as an analytical person myself, sometimes like the, the, the passages about suffering in the New Testament, like Romans 5, 1 Peter 1, like 1 Peter 4, like these, these kind of passages about, th- that's where I run. And I'm like, okay, like, let me, you know, dissect it. But the reality is in the midst of the pain, we don't need statements. We, we need something more akin to poetry. Mm-hmm. And we, we need it to warm our hearts gently, not just combat our hearts uh, superficially. And this is where, you know, Psalm 42, I, I think is, when you experience habitual anxiety, I think the, 
things like Psalm 42 are so helpful, right? As the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. Right? What is this anxiety but not my soul longing for you in the midst of this suffering? My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? I mean, what what stands out to me about this actually is I I think in some ways uh, habitual anxiety is that can be that earthly tempter. Habitual anxiety says to us, "Where is your God?" <laughs> right, and 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 to confess to God, I I I'm longing for you, I need you. Um, to say you know, in verse eleven, "Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you so in turmoil within me?" And then the, the assertion at the end of 11, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And I think when we turn to God, when we cry out to him, when we confess our neediness to him in response to the experience of habitual anxiety, he reminds us. When we cry out to him, he reminds us of who he is. He reminds us of what he's like. He reminds us of why we can put our hope in him, because he is our salvation, because he is our, he, he's our God. Um, and similarly, I think we're, we're reminded. God, I don't know. Yeah, I don't even think reminded is the right word. I think we're invited. Like we're invited to trust in him. We're not commanded. We're not, you know, uh, shamed into trusting him. We're, we're invited to place our trust in him in the midst of the suffering. We, we don't trust in him to get, our, get ourselves out. But we're invited to place our trust in him in the midst of the suffering. Uh, Psalm 56, 8, you've kept count of my tossings. What an incredible reminder, right? You've put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Even just to, to cry out to God, you have kept count of my wakeless nights. You've kept count of, of, of the, the, the butterflies or the, the heart. You've kept count of my heartbeats every time it races when I get in the car again. And so I cry out to you, just looking for you, asking for you, um, and in the midst of it, choosing to praise you, choosing to, to know that I, I'm, you're the one that I, I, I can turn to. Um, and so when habitual anxiety strikes, there's going to be, I guess the, the, the reality is when the habitual anxiety strikes, there's lots of things we don't know. <laughs> Right? And there's lots of things it exposes that we don't know. There's gonna be lots of things that we don't completely understand. And there's lots of things about habitual anxiety we're not even gonna fully understand what's going on in our own bodies. But regardless, we can cry out to God knowing that he has kept count of our tossings, that he has put our tears in the bottle, that he's recorded everyone. Because when there's so much that we don't know, we can turn to him and declare, this I know that you're for me. Right, that you are there, that you're present, and I know that you're for me. I, I, don't, I may not even know how, how this is all going to work out. I don't even know what goes on, but I can cry out to you knowing that you're for me. And we move forward through habitual anxiety, not by pursuing, again, some Christianized stoicism, but by pursuing genuine love. We move forward by turning to God in the midst of it, in the midst of this physical anxiety, and then by seeking to, to share in his genuine concern for those around us. Say, okay, Lord, like lead me through this and give me your love. Help me to see, which sometimes does call us to push through 
the anxiety out of love for someone. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it does use the, the habitual anxiety as a reminder that we're actually supposed to be concerned about something we're not all that concerned about, right? It can do both. And so I, I'm not saying that we always uh, sit back down and feed into it. Sometimes I think love does call us through it, but empowered by his spirit and dependent on him as we, um, as we go into it. And this is where actually, I think, leaning into his spirit, leaning into the power of his spirit, again, gives the proper context for verses that can be misused, but that are also really, really powerful. Like, like 2 Timothy 1, 5 to 7. Right, 2 Timothy 1, 5 to 7 says, I am reminded of your sincere faith. For this reason, I, rem I remind you, Paul's telling Timothy, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Again, it's a verse that can be misused. Right? Every time you're afraid, you're like, hey, God didn't give us a spirit of fear. If you're experiencing fear, that's not the spirit of God, right? Like, you, I don't know. Do you have the spirit of God? Like, that's not, like, that's obviously not what he's saying. But he is pointing to the fact that in the midst of our fears, even when we experience habitual fear, God knows us and he comforts us and he meets us in it. And his spirit, his spirit is the spirit of power. His spirit is the spirit of love. His spirit is the spirit of self-control. And so there's a way forward through in response to habitual anxiety. We, we, we're not simply, we don't simply have to forever be victims to it. Mm -hmm. I, I guess is, is I, I feel where that um, leads me. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So that's, that's, yeah, a lot of different things. So you get the three categories and a sense of how this intersects with those categories, ways to move forward. So to contributors, what of that, like, in other words, what, what aspect of the gospel that we've talked about has been most helpful or powerful in your own life? What stands out to you there? Um, practically, I love Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Um, I will fear, fear no evil, thy rod and thy staff comfort me. That is actually what I repeat to myself over and over as a mantra. And it, um, it always brings the light back into the darkness. But it also, this reminds me that there is purpose and there's grace laced throughout my anxieties and that God is and can still use me even if I'm in an ungodly place like he can still move and that's permission to sometimes not be okay and to and when i'm there to be curious about okay i'm not okay so i wonder how god is going to move here and that that is still you're still able to like look up from yourself so in a sense you're like not okay but you're also okay <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I would say just thinking through the value and concern he has for us, for me. Um, I like that analogy you used, Scott, with like he lifts up your head and you're in the midst of worry and anxiety and fear and all that stuff. And um, it's because he loves us and he's 
concerned and um i think even thinking through it's not because danny is special or unique it's just because he's that gracious and that loving and uh yeah like just thinking through when whether it's habitual or ungodly godly whatever it is like you could always go back to that truth that he is just right there like with his arms open waiting waiting for you to sit on his knee but it's like do i want to get off his knee or am i just going to rest in that and so i think that's always one of the most comforting things to just to know about god and it also obviously helps us and how we minister to other people in the, in the, in the same uh struggles but also just i don't think i think about this one enough but i the past few days as I've you know, been preparing for this, thinking about like the power. I think sometimes when I have anxiety, there's this way of like, I don't want God to show his power in my situation. I want to be the one to like show my own power. And it's kind of being like, all right, God, show yourself off. Like, let me stop being the one that wants to show myself off and how I can handle and solve my own problem or control my own situation and stuff. And so... It's interesting to me that um, talk about aspects of the gospel and how they intersect with these these three things. And at some point, to have this discussion at all, it it, it has to be downstream from the gospel. Yeah, I think that's the, the thing that stands out to me is is less the specific ways you see the interaction and more that I, I'm just still of the opinion that part of our biggest problem as Christians, maybe Christians here, maybe Christians everywhere, is just a, a deep inability and fear of being honest. Mm. Um, and until you're able to cop to what's actually happening with you, you're never going to be able to even get to what we're talking about. You're always going to have to rationalize, deny, bury, fear, work on it, stay in control. You're always gonna have to, you can't do this. Um, and of course those verses become a sledgehammer. What else are you going to do? They're the way you're going to get good. They're the way you're going to get right. Um, and we're going to use them on each other. We're going to help each other get right. You know, all because we, just, we, we can't just go, no, it's complicated and I'm hurting and I'm not okay. But that's kind of okay. And I think there's a movement there, like away from not okay. But there's probably a new not okay that's around the corner. Um, that's going to, sh- all those dynamics, we, we just get allergic to them. Mm-hmm. And so the idea that you have to, Ha- even have to, that word, I, I, I want to take back a little bit. Like, well, you have to. Gosh, okay, that's not quite right either. God is God. And until we're able to, to reckon with the fact that he stands outside of us in a certain way with a posture towards us that is actually full of grace and love, then we're not going to be able to be honest with ourselves or with anyone else. And so we're not going to be able to see any of this bear any kind of fruit in our life. And I think that just creating a culture here at Cornerstone, creating a culture amongst Christians, um, and creating a personal culture of just honesty. The only way you do that is with the gospel. The only way you do that is when you're not afraid of condemnation. And so that kind of meditation and, and prayer and sort of opening up, um, without that, it's going to be hard. And that's one, I think it's one of the hardest things for us. I really do. I think it's one of the hardest possible things. It's so much easier to try and spin it. Not even that, just to try and, to try and not have to be as honest as you probably should be, you know, to meet in the middle somewhere yeah. and just be, you know, quote unquote mature. I, you know, there's these ways that we, we, we work with words and with our own self posture and identity that 
can make this really hard, but anxiety just really busts right through that. Yeah. <laughs> and all, especially habitual anxiety, which is this thing that you, I mean, just is so outside of your control. It, it comes at you, right? And the way that this is all messed up in this giant cocktail, um, it, it, if you're not honest, this stuff will come to get you. And if you try and use dishonesty to deal with it, it's not going to happen. It's not going to go well. And you're going to miss out on seeing, Danny, I love the way you put it, you're going to miss out on seeing God going to work. Because he really is like that. Why wouldn't you want to experience that? But you got to believe he's like that before you can be okay not being okay. So the, 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 the downstream from the gospel stands out to me a lot. Yeah. Um, that being said, it, it doesn't, those are great strategies when you think of them. <laughs> like that's wonderful that we sat down and, and had to ask that question in a vacuum, right? So I guess one of the questions is, especially for the two of you, like what helps you remember this? What, what helps you enact this or just opens you up to the gospel itself when you're faced with your own anxieties or, you know, the anxieties of people around you? Like what, was it, what does that look like? Talking to someone. I, if I try and, <laughs> I mean, I have the luxury of living with the pastor. I get that. It <laughs> <laughs> says luxury. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I, I'm not sure Lars ever described it word. as a luxury. <laughs> um, you, can get a, you can get a theology lecture anytime you want. <laughs> I'm available for that. Well, I mean, I, I run things by you all the time. Like, I've been thinking totally. about this, Brian. Like, can you tell me? And tell me if I'm off base. And um, sometimes I'm just, I, ju I just am reacting in an emotional state. And that to me is a red flag towards anxiety. So bringing it to him or bringing it to um, my community or my friends or my sister or whoever who just knows me really well is, is enough to get me thinking about Jesus again. And then my, my next step is to go back to the Bible and, and the gospel. Because if I start there, I start with the sledgehammer. And um, I think that's the beauty in community. And I haven't, I've taken it for granted until this year. Like, to be completely honest, I did not, I, I understood the benefit of community. And we talk about it all the time. But I took it for granted until it was cut off. And then um, I was, I feel like this year I've been more diligent about seeking it out from trustworthy people and kind of creating my, my safe um, friends and my, you know, bringing red flags to Brian instead of waiting until I'm like in an anxious state and like mm -hmm. um, panicky. So that's. You know, it's. I mean, I, I want to. One of the things that stands out to me, and you correct me if I don't hear this right, but mm -hmm. I hear that. But you, you both need truth from scripture, from those around you, and truth from God's word itself. Um, and the reason it's encouraging to me is because I, I look at this and. I, I don't think it's quite as simple as like connect the dots. Like, oh, oh, you're, it seems like you're experiencing like 30% habitual anxiety. Let me go to like my passage for that, right? Mm -hmm. it, it happens far more organically as we interact with one another and as the word of God, as our minds are re renewed by the word of God. And sometimes the passages that speak to us are go-to passages. And sometimes the passages that speak to us 
our just whatever our friend happened to read that morning. Mm-hmm. And God uses it all to steer us through this mess so that, which gives us actually more hope that having the categories I think is helpful so that we can understand that there's all these different dynamics at work, but it gives us more hope that we don't have to like diagnose it precisely to, to get help Mm -hmm. because God's doing something so much bigger there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sorry, Danny. No, no, that's good. Um, I mean, yeah, I was thinking community for sure. I remember like that situation with the sleep and, and the spiritual warfare going on. Like I was even worried about sharing that because I'm like, Am I supposed to be struggling through this? Like, but when when you talk about it and you get it out and you realize other people are struggling with it and they can speak into your situation, it's it's always refreshing. And I would also just even um, I think Pastor Jose told me this, uh, and it had to do with one of those moments I had um, with with sleeping, and he just said, "Anytime, just go to prayer." And I, I that was such a foreign concept to me in the middle of like trying to get back to sleep. I'm just like. Let me see. Can I count this? Can I count that? Can I just do these little exercises? I and mean, nothing would work. And I'd be up for like an hour and a half. And then I just started praying. And slowly enough, like God just kind of reassures you, I got you, you know. Um, and one other thing, and I, I mean, I don't want to add like this like practical kind of homework assignment, but just doing <laughs> counseling and all that, like, and what we've learned uh, in, in the program I've been in, they always say like put up like verse cards in your house or whatever, like, and it's not even like find the verse that says don't be anxious. It's like find a truth that can remind you of how good God is, you know, what is pure, what is honor, whatever the end of Philippians 4 is right there. But like, see, Scott, if you would have went over, I would remember the verse right now. <laughs> no, no, but um, uh, but no, just thinking through like passages that like push you more towards God with those open arms as opposed to the sledgehammer and just having those verses because there's times where, like you even said, right, Chrissy, like scripture might not be always like the first thing we jump right to. We have other things that can kind of just push us there. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, those are some things for me. And that's helpful. All right, so we got one more section. Um, but before we do, so for those of you who are watching now, um, we're going to put up the number for you to text questions for the Q&A section at the end. Put it up on the bottom of the screen right now. You can start texting those in. Um, which is why I will be staring at my phone a little bit over the next uh, 10 or 15 minutes. Um, so jot that down. If you have questions, start texting them, and I'll take a look at them and try and uh, batch them and get through as many as we can. Uh, but before we get to those... I, I just had this thought. Okay. This is where we're going to find out if anybody's still listening. <laughs> <laughs> People might li- are going to listen to this afterwards on the podcast, but you know, like they, they, they could have gotten like 15 minutes in and be like, this is a boring way to watch something. I'm going to listen to it later. So, so. I might be on my phone we'll texting see. people to hey, ask you questions. You can make up questions. <laughs> yeah. You can be like, you know, a friend of mine asked a great question. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so while you're sending in all your questions, <laughs> legions and legions of questions for everyone watching, um, let's take a few minutes to talk about how we can help people around us who are struggling with anxiety. I mean, we've talked a lot about, in a sense, personal anxiety, but a lot of our calling is connected to helping one another through these sorts of things, either affirming you know, godly concern, helping through ungodly concern, all these different things. So let's start there. Like, Scott, what, what are some ways you can help us get our heads around that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the, the reality is the majority of the struggles with anxiety in our church family are going to be ministered to by one another. They're going to be ministered to 
not by pastors or counselors, but within community groups and individual relationships. And I think even just having a category for that is important for, for all of us. Um, right? I mean, it, even if you think about it, like the, I mean, this is a crisis moment. We, were, we talked about it earlier, right? This is a crisis moment societally um, and in the world and in the church. And there's so much fear and stress and worry and anxiety if it's at an all-time high. And over the past year, right, we've all developed all sorts of new habitual responses that we're going to have to deal with and respond to in light of COVID. I mean, I, I think every day I like have this new, you know, I mean, gosh, you, you get within like three feet of somebody and you're like, oh, 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 like, you know, it feels weird. You know, I, I, th- th- we've developed all these sorts of habitual responses that we don't even, more than we even realize, mm-hmm. first of all. Yeah. Second of all, over the past year, we've also experienced all sorts of new ungodly worries in new ways and, and allowed our worries free reign in ways that, that, that haven't reflected that reality of God. But over the past year, with everything going on, we've also experienced all sorts of new godly concerns that we haven't thought about or had to navigate before. And so in this moment, with all of its new colors of anxiety, it can't simply be met by even all the pastors and counselors and therapists in the world. There aren't enough professionals in the world to address the magnitude of pain and suffering that 2020 left behind. And I think we have to come to, like, I think we have to be honest about that. Um, this is a moment then, though, I think this is a moment for the church. I, this is um, when a fire breaks out in a building, the fire department like jumps into action because they're like specifically trained. Like that's what they do, right? When a, when a war breaks out, the military jumps into action because they're specifically trained. That's what they do. And I think when crises in people's individual lives like this happen across the board, the the church jumps into action because this is what we do, right? Caring for people's hearts, caring for their souls, caring for them in the midst of the mess of the complicated nature of sin and suffering, uh, that's that's a reality. And so... Um, I mean, I know everyone's heard me say it again and again and again, but I firmly believe that the primary way God wants to minister to and care for anxiety in the lives of those in our church family is through one another. It's through their community groups. It's through their relationships. It's through their friends, like like you both were talking about. Um, and, and that means we have to we have to be honest, as you were saying, Brian, with the the fear that even that brings, right? You, you, you said, Danny, I was scared to even admit that I was struggling in this way, right? You asked the question, am I supposed to be struggling with this? And if nothing else, I hope that this conference has conveyed to a number of people, yes, you are, right? You live as a fallen person in a fallen world in a fallen body. Yes, this struggle is very like predictable. You, you, this, is, this is a part of what it means to be in this world. And so you're not like a bad Christian to be struggling in these ways. You are a normal one. And we need to open up our, our lives in that sense to um, one another. And, and that's, that's where I think, I mean, I, I think if, if, if people are watching and listening, if, and if they're struggling with anxiety themselves, um, they might have listened to all this so far and been really disappointed 
<laughs> right? Um, maybe more disappointed I wasn't more practically helpful or they didn't get to, you know. And I think part of that's because this, this actually isn't a great format for addressing people's individual mm. anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that this is a, can be a helpful format. The reason we're doing this is I think this can be a helpful format for giving tools to all of us as a church community generally to um, care for and minister to others. And so, I mean, if, if, you're, if you're watching this or if you're listening to this later, um, if you're disappointed at this point, I, I would say, actually, I would encourage you to not only talk to a friend, maybe send your friend this, this audio. It might be more helpful for them than it is <laughs> uh, for, for you, but just to give you, them some tools and some context to, um, to walk through so that you can process through these things, maybe even using some of this vocabulary to process through some of the stuff, using some of the verses we've mentioned to, okay, what, what does it look like to meditate on that? Um, together. But I, I think that, uh, to answer your question, I think that the way forward is us digging into one another's lives, t- taking the, the, the step um, that you took, Danny, to, to say, hey, I know I've got a lot of questions, but I, 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 need, to, I need to talk with somebody about this so mm-hmm. we can walk forward together. So, okay, so what if you are the person that someone is coming to? Right? I mean, like it's one another's, right? Yeah, so yeah. Like, we're gonna we're gonna be on both sides of this at some point. So I might need to go talk to someone, but someone might come talk to me. Yeah. What about what about on that side of things? Yeah. Um, I know we're short in time, so let me do this just real briefly. Let me just give you a few things to to think about. First of all, if if, if you have friends that are struggling with anxiety or um, fear, uh, number one, just pray for them, right? That's where to start. Um, secondly, take time to listen to them. To, to actually really listen. Don't, don't try to, don't, don't feel like you have to jump in. Uh, sometimes I think people throw verses out motivated by their own anxiety, right? Like, I'm anxious, I, I need to have the right answer. Like, just, just, just listen. And if you don't know what to say, it's because you just haven't listened long enough yet, right? Like, it, it'll come. Listen and pray and study the Bible and, and, and spend time in the Word yourself and, and it'll come. But then just, Take the time to help them see the spiraling causes of anxiety in their own experience. Paul Tripp says that our self-perceptions are as accurate as a carnival mirror. And I love that image. Um, this is why we need one another to, to speak into it. You know, sometimes the godly concern part of our anxiety looks like an overwhelming feature to us. And we're like, you know what? I'm just, I'm just concerned like God's concerned. When actually there's some stuff, there's some idolatry in there that, that somebody else needs to point out. Um, sometimes it feels like our hearts are awash with sinful anxiety, sinful worry. We're like, oh, like my gosh, like all, all I'm feeling is, is, is sin. And we're like, wait, wait, no, there's a lot of like the habitual experience going on that, that you're not even taking into consideration. We need other people to help us interpret our, our, our experiences. And then, you know, just speak the truth of scripture into their experience, whether it's affirming their godly concern, giving them hope in the midst of habitual anxiety, helping them apply the gospel in their sinful worry. And I think, I, I guess I'd say more than anything, um, I encourage you to pray for wisdom. Pray for wisdom to know what they need most and trust that, that God tells us when we seek wisdom, um, he, he's gonna give it to us to know how to navigate, to listen, to care, um, and to minister well to one another. Okay, for 
for contributors, um, kind of like your thoughts on that, <laughs> I guess. Like, what, what, what do you think we need to keep in mind as we care for people, both as people who have received that care and have given that care? What, what occurs to you? I would just say, yeah, like asking, be someone who wants to ask questions and not come in with, I'm going to give you the answer. Um, I, I think if you use COVID as an example, right, COVID has generated so many different worries amongst all of us. And while we might go and say, well, I have this opinion of how COVID, like, I feel this way about COVID. You got to think through, like, what is like, okay, forget COVID for you, but like, what is one of your biggest worries that you have? And how would you want people to minister to you with that worry? How are you going to approach people in these other worries that they have? You know, if they think this way about COVID or work, whatever, like, we'll think about your biggest worry and concern. How would you want someone to come in and minister alongside you and approach people in the church, wherever, in the same way, you know, so. That's extremely helpful. <laughs> just like, just extraordinary. It's like, that's, that's really good. I don't know if I've ever thought of that. <laughs> I'm going to carry that with me. Cool. Um, I think as uh, if people come to me, it's really important for me to remember that they're in a season where God is going to do good work and to remind them. Um, seeking help or asking for support is doesn't automatically mean you're sinful. It means that you are God created and um, the spirit is about to move. And we and I get to sit there and watch watch it move with you. And that's that to me is hope instead of like, oh I, I, I'm not good at remembering scripture. What if I what if I don't bring in enough scripture or um, you know, whatever <laughs> whatever expectation you want to put on yourself it, this is this is not driven by us it's driven by christ through us and we need to approach it that way and remind them like good i'm glad you're here like i can't wait to see the change or the work of the spirit and this is just thank you for inviting me into that um yeah just remind them that there's purpose and and grace grace laced throughout your anxiety mm. it's it's you're a created being and we're fallen but this this gets to point you back to christ and make you more more christ-like that's pretty awesome actually i, I love that phrase chrissy <laughs> the, the the spirit's about to move yeah right like just and knowing that who God is and the spirit, like we can be tempted to, when somebody's anxious and they come to us, we can be tempted for it to spiral our own anxiety. But mm -hmm. remembering who God is means like, well, wait, I, I, no, I'm, I'm entering into this with expectation. I don't know how, right? I don't know exactly what this is going to look like, but um, oh, what a great phrase. Yeah, It is helpful to, I think for most of us, things like anxiety, or anything that, that smells like a type of failure feels like a cul-de-sac. Like you're, when, when it's, it's still a road, <laughs> like, you're, like yeah. you're still moving forward. God's still like alive and doing things. Um, and this is a next step for you, not a step backwards necessarily. And so it's, uh, yeah, I, I find that really good. Yeah. Okay, 15 minutes for questions with a lot of questions that would take at least 20 to answer. So um, uh, a few, apparently plenty of people are listening. A lot of people just didn't even send a question. Just, hey, lots of us are here. 
Um, so the level of affirmation from you is, is, is warming. Our church is a very affirming church, by the way. <laughs> we, we love you. We do. If you like this video, hit subscribe. <laughs> so uh, I am not sure if I lost my hair due to anxiety, so I can't yes or no that question. Um, but uh, that's there. Okay, so I, I guess I'm going to try and do the ones that are the most... Uh, that we can actually scope right and that, that happen the most times. I guess that'll, that'll be our criteria. Um, before we jump in, and I'll repeat this at the end, um, some of these questions really are, are very important and near impossible to answer here in this context or with this time. Um, follow up, send an email to your pastors. And it, Scott's the, 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 the teacher, quote unquote, in this session. Like, send him an email, ask these questions, because just because we don't get to do it tonight doesn't mean they're not important and worth answering. So just to throw that out there, make very clear. Um, there were a few questions on, like, you guys are talking about what to do. <laughs> what should we make sure we don't do? In other words, like, are there any things that we might unthinkingly find ourselves doing or saying when someone comes to us with anxiety? Um, that that in, it kind of briefly, what, what can I make, sh what, what can I have in my head to avoid? And Danny, to me, what your thing is, is a great one where it's like, well, don't treat it like something that to you is small. Think of your big thing. Like that's a good, so that's a great example to me. Is there anything like that? Can that I go? You, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have an answer really quickly because this happened to me is do not say you need more faith. Don't you dare. <laughs> um, <laughs> just like I said, the spirit is about to move. So how dare you even assume that they're struggling because they don't have faith. They're struggling to have more faith. And it is our, it's our job to point them to Christ, but not doubt their faith. Like that is a very intimate and personal thing. And it's, um, I mean, that was said to me when I was 19 and I'm still struggling. That's still a doubt that gets in there and I still have to like beat back um, an insecurity. So, yeah. Got anything? Oh, I mean, I would say like, uh, I, well, I guess I, I would say overall, I would rather be a listener in this. I feel like uh, that's, that's, that's a big question I have and I'm continuing trying to ask people. I think one of the things that comes to mind um, and even that I've done in the past is um, to not base your ministry to others based on your interpretation of the fear, mm -hmm. right? I think it's, it's really easy to, for you to evaluate, is that fear like justified or not justified? It's like, is that fear like worthy? You know, if it's something you're afraid of, you're like, oh my gosh, that is a big deal. But if it's something you're not afraid of, you're like, I don't, that's not a big deal, right? So treating, uh, addressing it in light of where they are, not in light of where you are, which I think is a big temptation for us to do. I think that, that that's difficult for us to do. Um, I, I think it's difficult for us to do in general in relationships. I think it's particularly difficult for us to do in our fears with our kids, fear, mm -hmm. in, our, in fears kids have. Um, to be like, oh, that's, that's ridiculous. I don't know why you're, but like, it, it might be a really big deal to them, and and to, and it's it's an opportunity. To, so I don't know, that's what I think is coming. Yeah, I mean, we kind of keep saying it, but like listening to them and just like you go back to the context, and you don't get to context unless you listen and ask questions and like. Of course, you can say, like, I'm worried about one of my kids. But if that's all somebody hears, they don't know all that, like, one of them can be really sick. And there can be, like, 
I think just really taking the time to like listen. I, I think we li we operate in such a like go, go, go mode mm. that we want to just quickly solve the problem. And it's like, like Jesus with the woman at the well just sat, took time to like talk with her and yeah. just do, approaching it like that. Don't try know. to just fix. That's, yeah. That's good. Okay. Uh, several on the other side from the experience end of it. Like what's, what's something that someone has said to you or, or a way they have reacted that you found particularly helpful? Well, I mean, yeah, I think, I think uh, sometimes with these anxieties and these worries, you know, they, they lead to, to tears and to, you know, and what's been helpful is I think also, you know, someone's really listening is they're, they're weeping with you or they're giving you their shoulder to like cry on kind of deal. And, um, yeah, I think that always just affirms more that like they really care about what you're going through. And I think that's just a, that's a, I think lament or weeping alongside each other is like a thing that we can just really try to strive more and more towards, because I think we, as a society always want to be like, Oh, you gotta be kind of tough and all this mm -hmm. and the other. But when people are coming up to you with like really, difficult things, they just want someone to weep with them, they want someone to hug them, all those things, comfort them, so, yeah. I think what's been helpful to me is for me to be reminded, like, no, this is, this is who you actually are in Christ. It's not to remind me that my doubts or my fears or whatever are, that's just what they are, and, and for me to be encouraged Brian often comes at me with encouragement and sometimes I get frustrated because I'm like, no, I would just want you to fix me and tell Brian, me like... <laughs> Brian is an annoyingly encouraging person. But, but... <laughs> Wait, I, he's I mean, an incredible <laughs> encourager. And sometimes he comes at, yeah, because you're like, you're like, no, I, I need you to like correct yeah, me and he knows it's not actually what you need. I mean, I don't get annoyed by it, but I'm like, okay. um, well, <laughs> I, I think in the end that helps me stand on who I am in Christ. And it reminds me, no, this is who you are. You're, you're God's child first, fearfully and wonderfully made. And we have time to work through yeah. this stuff over here. Mm. Um, I think, yeah, just, just speaking truth to that person, hopefully you know that person more than just casually. And if you don't, you can still encourage them. Mm -hmm. But that's always incredibly helpful. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and just, I would just say time. I think the best thing that people give me is, maybe that's because I'm a verbal processor, so I need it <laughs> to get anywhere. But I, um, when people give me their time in that space and don't make me feel like I, um, you know, it's annoying that I require it. Um, hmm. It's a huge blessing. Mm -hmm. That's good. So w one question that came up a few times that I didn't anticipate um, and that is actually aimed at you <laughs> is that anxiety in certain ways, it, it's culturally conditioned. There's cultural stuff that happens around it. And particularly, it's kind of gendered in certain ways. Mm. That women, there's one of them, like there's a, a socially acceptable level of anxiety for women. Like we're always supposed to be a little harried, they write. You know, like, like how, how do you, how do you, uh, this one was, how do you combat 
the glorification of anxiety or the temptation to anxiety brag, which is a pretty great turn of phrase. Um, but there, but there's, there were a couple of others very similar. Like, like as a woman, there's kind of a unique relationship with anxiety, both it seems like internally and externally. Um, internally is probably different from person to person, but there's kind of a societal thing going on outside. Um, how has that been your experience and how have you kind of walked through that? Okay, so I'm not the typical woman in that in that point where I don't I don't like trauma and I don't like um, feeling or looking helpless. So I will go through I will go to all all lengths to hide it. Um, I think if you are close to me, I have to tell you I'm anxious, but I don't know that you would pick up on it. Um, I I think. I do that because there is a societal <laughs> kind of expectation and I, it, it kind of grates on me to be classified into that. So I, I don't know that I'm the best person to answer that. Um, I do feel a little cliche at times that I, that I struggle from anxiety, you know, but like I said, I've been trying to see it as a tool to point me towards being curious about what God has for me to learn about him and, and using it as a tool to um, embrace his goodness and, and trust his goodness, even when I can't imagine how this situation is good. So I use it as a conditioning tool to sharpen my faith, which I am insecure about. So this might put you on the spot and you can tell me no, (laughs) but like is in light of that, is there, um, is there anything you would want to, to highlight particularly for women as they, and just as you're, through your relationships and things like that, you would want to highlight specifically for women as they struggle with, with this? Yeah, I would say um, women, as you struggle with anxiety and or maybe just emo- being emotional, because it, it, could, it could just mean emotional to certain people, I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah remember that that makes you so awesome. Like that gives you more of a chance to like become more like Christ. It gives you more of a chance towards holiness and, um, you know, lean into it however you want, but do it with community and make sure that you have people speaking truth to you and be sure that you are listening to that truth and receiving it Mm. and not just saying, well, I need to I need to do me and I'm emotional and this makes me me. So them telling me that I am, you know, I need to have more peace or whatever. I'm t- um, I need to think about this more and <laughs> be more elo- eloquent, but um, take it as an opportunity to, to dig your heels in and, and learn more about who Jesus is. And if you doubt his goodness, good. Ask him to show you. That's like, an incredible place to be because he will always answer those questions. He will always move. All right. I want to, I want to squeeze one more in and then, well, then we'll close. Um, Cause wh- what's interesting is there are people who are both anticipating and experiencing that they're going to be on the receiving end of conversation about anxiety from people who aren't Christians people at work, people who are neighbors. And that makes a ton of sense to me. Um, and the question is along these lines, like, is there, 
is there any uh, thing they ought to know as they approach that that might be different or more, you know, angled a different way, more nuanced in certain ways than what we've said so far here? Mm. Guy, I kind of want to throw that to you as someone who's thought about that, yeah. that in a different context. I mean, it's, <laughs> I, I don't know there's not a lot of time, but. I, I knew this question was coming. <laughs> I was kind of hoping it wasn't. Um, I, I mean, in, in one sense, it's simpler. Um, in, in one sense, it's, it's simpler when it, you know, doesn't, we we're just talking about, kind of, we we're talking about among us as, as Christians. And I think it's an important question that's kind of its own, I mean, it's, it's something, I, I kind of feel like my microphone's been slipping as we've go, been going, so now I'm like, <laughs> I'm like bent down. Um, but then it's going to like mess it up. Um, I, but I, I, what I would say is that there are a number, I, I say two things. Number one, that there are a number of parallels we can draw and things that are helpful, um, that, that can be helpful along the way, even things that you learn. I, I, it's worth affirming when even non-Christians are concerned about things that concern God. Like we should, you know, we can affirm that. We can um, help people understand that that habitual anxiety exists right and that that that's an inroads to talking about the nature of suffering and things of God and, and we can even use some some of the practical um, things that we have learned from other Christians just in our life that, that help manage to help, that help us manage that along the way I think that could be helpful and I think all those things would be helpful I, I also think it's really important to remember that I, I actually don't ultimately think there's hope for anxiety without the gospel. Mm. Like, I, I think that the ultimate and the ultimate hope, like, I, I think actually that uh, being anxious in this world for a non-Christian is called sanity. Like, I, I think that's what you should expect. I think this world, without, God, without a good God who's in control, I, I think this, this feeling like this world's out of control is being honest. And so I, I also wouldn't try to like endeavor to get them past anxiety uh, without the gospel, because I, I also just think that's, I think that's a fool's errand, right? And so we can, I think there are practical things we can do to help, but I also don't want to miss the fact that this anxious moment in our world is an incredible opportunity for the gospel. And we should say that not, and we should, I, I say that not just opportunistically, like, oh, like slip the gospel in there. I say it with full conviction that that's what, in the midst of their anxiety, that's what their soul is longing for, is to know a God who is good and is wise and is actually in control. So I, yeah, that, I mean, that's probably the best you can do in like a minute and a half. I, I, obviously, there, there's a lot of complications there. Yeah. And that's what I want to say to people. I, we've got conversations about how this connects to other complicated things, yeah. things like stress, um, questions about uh, how this relates to the Christian understanding of suffering and like embracing, rejecting, how, like, how does that work? Mm -hmm. We got questions about um, practical ones about like COVID. You know, like how do you, like, A, like what does it mean to fear it well? And B, what does it mean to like, go back into society and cope with the anxiety that's gonna come for all of us, um, and, and more. Like, the, obviously, things that we just cannot cover now. Um, things it, about, you know, this, this, this has been about uh, uh, really kind of a, how do we help one another 
um, do this, we didn't get a chance to talk about um, anything outside of us. So there's questions about medication, about therapy, about all sorts of other things that are important parts of this conversation that we just didn't have time to cover. Um, and like I said before, these are important questions, so hit us up. These conferences or mega podcasts or whatever we want to call them are meant to be the beginning of a conversation, not the end. Mm -hmm. And we've said that forever, and this yep. is the same. So please continue to ask these questions because this is an important topic that we care about. And just because it doesn't get mentioned doesn't mean it's not important or it's not worth uh, uh, chasing down further. So that yeah. being said, we are, we are out of time. Um, thank you so much for watching and being a part of this. We hope it was helpful and a blessing to you. Thank you, Scott, for, for teaching here. And thank you to our contributors for sharing their experience and their wisdom. Um, we love you. Let me say a quick prayer, and we will, uh, we will call it a night. Father, we're glad that you are who you are that you are uh, not just powerful, but power itself, and not just uh, a refuge, but the refuge. And so in the midst of all the confusion that comes in these topics, would you break down our walls, take us to a place of honesty and reality, and show us that in that place, your love for us is unabated in Jesus Christ, our Lord. We thank you for him, and we ask that by the power of the Spirit, you'd help us love him more and enjoy what you have given us in the way that we find ourselves uh, concerned in a godly way, growing in the ways that we tend to fear in ways that aren't godly, and handling the times that fear comes upon us and jumps on us in the, as a result of living in a suffering world. Lord, we thank you most of all that you have our hand in all of this, that it is truly laced with grace, and that there is hope and a future for all of us in you. We give you our praise for that. We lean on it and grasp it as a community tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you for being with us. <laughs>